In every nomination to office, I have endeavored, as far as my own knowledge extended or information could be obtained, to make fitness of character my primary object. The words of President George Washington. And this is the Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we'll have plenty of hot takes on the Democratic debate, but that'll be later in the show. But first, we take a broad look at possible threats to the Republic that happened in the past week alone, which is a new main topic of ours, which will be somewhat regular. How is the Republic being challenged this week? Well, there are many ways that the Republic is challenged. Uh, and I think one of them that I spotted was what happened with NOAA, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration. These are the national weather forecasters, the government weather forecasters. And as we know that now that there was pressure put on them not to contradict there President Trump. There was pressure put on <laughs> them not to contradict the President of the United States. Yes, when the president, wanted to, uh, yes, I wanted to repeat that. <laughs> right, and this is much more problematic than it sounds like. You know, if you just scratch the surface, there. Oh, so what's the big deal? The weather forecasters did this, but a couple of things. One, there are real consequences to this. These are the people who are warning Americans about what they might need to do to protect themselves, to keep themselves safe, and that's their job. And the second part of this is their job is to be outside of politics entirely in order to be able to do that job. And that's exactly what the, that quote that you uh, read at the beginning of the show from President George Washington. And by the way, if people don't realize that, that's Ian Kahn, the actor who portrayed George Washington in turn, Washington Spies, doing yep. George Washington at the top of the show. At the top of every episode, right. yes. And that quote is specifically about Washington's approach to appointing people to these kinds of positions. In that case, it was a letter about a judge position, but all these kinds of positions, the idea for Washington was everybody should have the highest of characters in whatever job that they do, and that should free them from the politics of the day. What happened exactly? We know that Alabama was not going to be in the line of the fire of yeah. the of the hurricane, and that President Trump said that it would, and then spent a week sort yeah. of backing himself up. Yeah. So then what happened? The original tweet from uh, the president, which was after we had a sense that that the hurricane was going to move into Florida, but we weren't sure where exactly, but it was going to stop there. Not necessarily into Alabama, but it was his certainty that it was going into Alabama that yeah. was the problem. And he wasn't, willing to, back, he wasn't willing to back off that certainty. No, because he said it could potentially hit Alabama. Then, you know, Noah would have said, yeah, that, that would have been impossible. That would have been a possibility at the time of the forecast, four or five days down the line, and there could have been some impact. Mm -hmm. but, but because he, he made it a certainty in his tweet, and then it was clear right then that Noah had to go out because they said that they were getting calls. The Birmingham, Alabama right. office was getting calls from people saying, do we need to evacuate? Do we need to evacuate? They had to put out a statement that said, no, you don't need to unnecessarily evacuate. There's nothing. It almost, and it had happen. a little edge to it, too. Yes. I mean, it, was, it yeah. had a little like, yeah, no, that ain't right. What are you right. doing, folks? Right. Yes. Yeah. So what they did is, is the president immediately is undermining the credibility of these folks with the tweet itself. But then... Does that one further by going to the Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, pushes, puts pressure on him to go back to Noah and say that they did. And they, they put out that, that unnamed press release that said, yeah, that was possible 
that I mean, they just under. So now you're undermining the entire credibility of a civil service on whom the safety of the country relies. So that is that is taking a, a chip away at the republic. Yes. You would say. I would say that. I mean, it's, and these are small chips, but I think that's why we're doing this segment. Is that in How any given in any given week this week there are, there are chipping away. There's small chips and small chips, and that's that's one small chip. Now let's talk about Ben Sass. Sure. Um, ben Sass, who was very brave in the run up to 2016, has just received the endorsement of President Trump, so that it seems that he will be the Republican nominee. Um, and he won't have a primary challenge. Now, Ben Sass was very, very powerful in his denouncement of President Trump, going so far as to call him a white nationalist like David Duke, saying that he will not vote for him in 2016, that he's going to write in Mike Pence, uh, someone that he felt more comfortable. Then, for a period of time, Ben Sass was, like Jeff Flake, like Bob Corker, was fighting against President Trump at different times. But now it's sort of coming to, uh, you know, he's he's up for re-election in 2020. He decided to sit on his hands largely. And there have been many times over the course of the last 18 months where people are like, where, is the, where are the, the Romneys? Where are the Sasses to speak out against this injustice? It seems that we have our answer based on what happened on Tuesday night, which is that he was waiting for this uh, endorsement from the president to make sure that he can continue to be the senator. Um, what, what is your take on that? Yeah, well, I mean, as recently as a year ago, all the press about Ben Sass was, here's the never Trumper standing up to to President Trump. Uh, here's you know calling him out uh, mm-hmm. for when he does things that are outside the norms of behavior that are acceptable in our constitutional. A guardian Republic. of the Republic, a and, guardian, uh, yeah, or at least making the rumblings of a guardian of the Republic. But when he came to putting his money where his mouth is, remember when we do our guardian of the week, it's always about somebody who's willing to put their own personal future to the side, to threaten their own personal future, to stand up for the, the republic. And what we had is, is in the past year, a Ben Sass who went silent because he realized he could have a primary challenge from the he right. He would. He would definitely have a primary right. challenge on the right. Now, Joe Walsh talked about this um, on an interview last week about how really what the Republicans are doing is they're waiting for Donald Trump to lose in 2020. If Donald Trump loses in 2020, everyone who is able to survive this period of time can then stay in office. But if you come out at any point while Trump is still in office, you're going to be out of the business. And once you're out of the business, there's no way to come back. So there is a calculation that Sass made clearly. People like Ben Sass are putting all their hopes on, on Joe Walsh. Or, you know, the, the Joe Walsh I, phenomenon. I think they're putting all their, their on Joe Biden. Yeah, well, well, this is what I mean. Joe Walsh bloodies Donald Trump on the way to the nomination, making yes. it easier for Joe Biden or whoever, or Elizabeth Warren even, uh, to win. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, I am of the mind that if, if that's the direction that you go, even if Donald Trump loses in 2020, that the Republican Party is, can't rebuild, can't just like snap back to where it was. Uh, that but what's his other option? I mean, to take to take yeah. the opposite side just for a moment. There was a moment last night where I thought to myself, "What if he's just waiting for the primary date, which I believe is March 1st? Oh, right? and then yeah. And then after the primary is done, and he's the nominee, what if he then decides on March 1st to come out against Trump? Yeah, I'm back. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, the difference between him and Lindsey Graham is 
that Graham has gone all the way to the other side. So, right. you know, Graham's doing the same thing. I mean, Lindsey Graham wants to stay relevant. He wants to keep his his personal relevance in politics. The way to do that is to get support from President Trump. He's got he has President support uh, Trump's support. He will be the nominee. But what happens if that does happen in the Republican Party? That once they get through this primary process, they all sort of say, "Yeah, you know what? You're not that good. I, I don't like you so much." It was one of the. It's one of the questions I have about about Mitt Romney. Like, right? What are you waiting for? Because your next election isn't until twenty twenty two. He was are all you... over. Right. He was all over the place in twenty sixteen on yeah, Donald absolutely. Trump, and then he gets elected to the Senate. And yeah, and they took the Secretary of State meeting. That 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 really hurt him actually in in terms of his credibility. Because if you don't believe in the man and you believe so voraciously against the man, why are you even taking the meeting with the guy? Uh, it's it's really interesting. We're going to see what Ben Sass does. I, I, uh, I you know, I'm for, not going to hold. But I'll tell you, I'm not holding out hope that this is some. I am. This is I'm some uh, uh, secret plan of Ben. Well, because Sass's, otherwise but, he has he has zero power, right? I mean, right. he he would be eliminated from politics if he did not keep his mouth shut over the course of these last twelve months. I, I honestly, the Republicans who are in the Congress right now who are want to speak out against Trump. I think this must be we we talk about them with such derision constantly. I think this must be some of the some of the hardest political times certainly in their lives right. uh, but that you can have because you you can't say a darn thing because if you do you're out. We also got to talk about let's talk about the North Carolina state legislature just really briefly. This is another moment that um, is uh, how the republic is being challenged this week. Do you want to give a quick yeah, rundown yeah, no, of what happened? Yeah, we're not exactly sure what happened, but but here's the deal is that uh, North Carolina has a Republican legislature and a Democratic governor. They the legislature passed a budget the governor vetoed it. Vetoed uh, that budget. Well, you can always override the veto. If you're the legislature, you get two-thirds of the vote. So what happened was they haven't been able to get that because uh, there's 120 members of the New North Carolina Assembly, and I think it's a majority, like it's 65 to 55 or something like that, Demo Republican to Democrat. So the, the Republicans don't have a two-thirds majority in there. But they had a voting session this week where... There were about 65 legislators in the room. Most of the Democrats were missing. So 65 is enough for a quorum so they can conduct business. And what happened was the speaker looks in the room, says, oh, we've got uh, 55 Republicans in here. Let's, uh, let's hold the override vote. And it, the override vote ended up being up something like 55 to 12, uh, because that's how many Democrats were in there, only about a dozen Democrats. Because it was 9-11. It was 9-11. Well, this is what we don't really know. So it's 9-11. Yeah. So it's, it's the morning of 9-11. The Democratic leader of the assembly told his members that the morning session would not be a voting session, that the speaker, the Republican speaker, had told him that it would not be a morning, that would not be a voting session. There would be no votes taken. And many of those members went about their own business, some of them attending 9-11 commemoration ceremonies in their districts. Because it's 9-11. Yes, so what happens is the speaker either misled the minority leader or the minority leader, there was a miscommunication, but either way, the speaker saw his opportunity and held the vote and overrode the, the veto, at least mm -hmm. in, the, in the lower chamber. It still has to go to the Senate. But there was a really interesting uh, outburst from <laughs> a, a representative, Representative uh, Deb Bishop, uh, on the floor as this was happening. How dare you do this, Mr. This is Speaker? The of democracy. If this is the way you 
you believe democracy works, shame on you. This is not appropriate, and you know it. The people of North Carolina, you will answer to the no, people of North Carolina. Not today. Not today. So I'm not sure whether the speaker was saying not today in response to you will answer to the people of North Carolina or to something else, but it just, the way it sounds right there is it sounds as if he doesn't really care. No, he doesn't. I mean, to do this, to, to make this choice, um, how is the Republic being challenged this week? I keep repeating right. this because this is something that we're going to be coming back to more and more as our show is called guardians of the Republic. This was a moment when I watched this woman, um, this representative just screaming from her soul. It felt as if she was screaming like all the way back from the founders saying, we are breaking our, our Republic right now, right here on this yes. holiest of American days. September 11th, you are doing something that will will set us on the wrong path as a nation moving forward. And it was heartbreaking to watch. Yeah. So whether the speaker misled uh, the Democrats or whether it was just a miscommunication doesn't matter in the sense that what what he did was take this opportunity to really undermine the norms of behavior. Do you think there's there's any way that there's going to be trust between the Democrats and the Republicans in that legislature <laughs> going forward. And there's no way that they can proceed under any modicum of trust. Yeah, it's, it's a, a crumbling of the, of the Republic. And speaking of, of trust, is that uh, antitrust inquiry that the Justice Department has opened up on automakers. Have you, have you seen this? Yes, I have. So this, is, so this is what we know. Automakers have been working with the state of California to come up with a compact on emission standards after the, the Trump administration has rolled back the Obama administration's emission standards because in the end, the automakers feel that in the long run, we're going to have to deal with these emission issues anyway. So we're just going to do something that we feel is, is going to work for the long term. And if a new administration comes into Washington, these are going to be back on the table anyway. So we, we want the continuity is what they're doing. So what the Justice Department has done, because, and because they're an entity of the Trump administration, is opened up this antitrust inquiry saying that they're colluding together to do this because it makes Donald Trump look bad. Donald Trump his- wanted Roy Cohn as his attorney general. Donald Trump got William Barr Cohn. William, Barr Roy, William Roy Barr Cohn. And he is doing the deeds. Yeah. Yeah, and look, this is not the first time we've seen some things happening. There was the IRS scandal that during the Obama administration where the IRS was uh, flagging uh, charities that had the word Tea Party in them uh, for tax-exempt status. Uh, but, you know, an investigation there found two things. One, this is what was not directed by the president, and it had been going on even back into the Bush administration. So this is a very different thing where we're seeing a direct link between the Oval Office and using the arms of government to go after political enemies. And I think that's, we, that's the chipping away at the republic that we've seen this week. Now, also, I'm going to add one more uh, 
small point just because both of us are fans of uh, politics in England. They're, they're fascinating. It's fascinating to watch people be so courteous with each other and, and so dismissive at the same time. Um, John Burkow, Speaker of the House of Commons, just stepped down this past week. My expectation is that the Secretary of State will speak relatively early in the debate. There's no order. There's no need for the Honourable Member for Dewsbury to chunter ahoy there from a sedentary <laughs> position. Very, very eccentric behaviour. It's not the, not the sort of thing I would ever have done as a backbencher, I feel sure. Anyway, we'll leave it there. But I, I... If you have some time on YouTube and you want to have a really interesting half hour, uh, just put in John Burkow and just watch some of the highlights of this man. He, he is going to be missed uh, he has been a true guardian of that republic. It's not a republic of that nation. Um, and he's going to be leaving now. So it'll be interesting to see how things move forward with Brexit. And that is the end of our first time of saying, how is the republic being challenged this week? And Patrick, I just want to ask you on the polling front, yeah. uh, do, do you have any n new thoughts or new ideas about things that have come out recently? Well, uh, we're going to talk about uh, last night's debate. And so before we do that, I want to uh, talk about some polling and not the Democratic primary polling, but actually all of these head-to-head -head polls that are coming out right now. Mm -hmm. And by head-to-head, -head, I mean Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, Donald Trump versus Sanders yep. versus Warren uh, Buttigieg, Harris, all those folks. It's too freaking soon for these head-to-head -head polls. And here's why, is because the question that you ask is, if the election were held today, who would you vote for? Well, if the election were held today, everybody would be shocked because they would expect a campaign first. And when you ask a head-to-head -head poll about a bunch of Democratic candidates who have different levels of name recognition among the general electorate, and there hasn't been a campaign yet, they haven't faced a campaign, they haven't gone through the gauntlet of attacks and back and forth and, the, and, and voters being able to compare them. That the head-to-head -head doesn't mean much about the relative strength, but from Biden to Buttigieg. So let me give you an example. When we ask these head-to-head -head questions, ABC has done it, Quinnipiac, Fox has done it recently. Donald Trump's support level in any of these contests is anywhere from 38% to 44%. The Democrats vary. You know, Joe Biden does a lot better than Buttigieg, but that's because he's better known. If you ask a different question, which is simply, should Trump be reelected? which Marist, Monmouth, CNN, and NBC Wall Street Journal have been doing over the past month, you get a range of between 36% and 40% say he's going to be, should be reelected, which is pretty much the same as what you get in the head-to-head -head polls for Donald Trump support. And that's all they're measuring. It does, we don't know who's the more electable candidate. We don't know who's the stronger candidate yet. And, and the electorate doesn't know who it is. So these polls doesn't are really, really not matter. Yeah, it the polls matter. are not telling, the polls are only telling us who they know, who their name recognition but also is, what matters and not who's Trump's, really going to be but, stronger after the campaign actually gets underway. But the Trump reelect number, that is important. I mean, yes. it seems no, to that me is. that that, that, is that number, that number tells us where he's at with right. the American people. And if we look at what happened in North Carolina this week um, with a with a close victory by the Republican side, and we're seeing that they're the, in the suburbs that Trump is losing support or the Republicans are losing mm -hmm. support, um, that, that tells us more right now than than whoever, because we're going to, you know, we're going to see how, how it all plays out and who that yeah. person is that, right. that so Trump is fighting. Trump, Trump's support is below 40% just for a straight reelect. If there is a weak Democratic candidate who is bloodied 
by the time we get to November of 2020, Donald Trump could do better than that. But we won't know that until we get to that point. And we don't know whether Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren would be stronger after going through that gauntlet. We just just, don't know that. And the public doesn't know that. And these polls that are telling us that they're that it, they do know it are totally misleading but it's fun to, to, to hear all right a pollster it's, it's fun, fun to misleading. hear a pollster no yeah. it's fun to hear a pollster loses mind like this because yeah you just threw freaking out there yeah that's, yeah, that's freaking, a first for this but show what we really want to talk about is the fun and games in last night's debate okay so let's move on to our hot take segment and this is where we have 90 seconds to discuss each candidate in last night's debate when you hear this sound It'll be time to move on to the next topic. So uh, first one up, Patrick, is Julian Castro. Julian Castro came out attacking. You know, um, so obviously there's been a lot of talk about whether he went uh, overboard with, uh, or you know, it was unreasonable what he did with Joe Biden. But I have an idea about what Castro did, and it's a realization that he's not going to be the presidential nominee. He's not going to get close to a presidential nominee. But... He would make a great attack dog, which is the role of the vice presidential nominee. And obviously, he's not going to be Biden's because there's no question, I think, in Democrats' minds that there is going to be a woman on this ticket one way or the other, which means he's auditioning for Elizabeth Warren, as far as I was concerned. Yeah, okay. So he he may very well have done that. But what he also did was uh, make not a friend of many of the Democratic uh base at least for me last night watching it i just looked at it and i went let's go go screw yourself pal i mean i was i was sort of offended by him and then he took another you know mayor pete took a moment saying hey you know this is part of why people aren't enjoying watching debates and he's like yo listen yeah yeah and he's like yo listen this is what it is deal with it man and i was like looking at this little man on a big box who you know isn't strong enough or tall enough to sort of stand in his space and needs that little extra jump? And I was like, you know, you may be an attack dog, but you're an, you're a mean attack dog, uh-huh. and not somebody who I'd be excited about if uh, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, I think took the, him the, on. The, I think you're right. I think I, you're that's that was what he was doing. Yeah, and I think but, the deal was he swung for the fences and he struck out. Yeah, he struck out bad. All right, next one up is uh, Amy Klobuchar. Oh, what do you think? Man. I, you know, she's. In so many ways, if there was a lane for her, I think that she would be an interesting presidential candidate. She's just vanilla enough um, and centrist enough that I think that she would get all of those votes. I mean, I, I don't know if there's been any poll yet about how Klobuchar would do against Trump, but I have a feeling that she would do amazingly well. Like, in some ways, she might be the most electable. Uh, she had some really strong right. moments on that stage. But again, I just don't know. Well, as, I, as I spoke, you know, just a few minutes ago, uh, you know, these head-to-head polls don't mean anything because if they had polled Klobuchar, she wouldn't do all that well simply because she's not known. And it, but I agree with you. If she was known, if she was universally known, I think a lot more people would be saying, "Here's a strong candidate against Donald Trump." A very I, strong candidate. I, I think her her weakest part, and it's always her weakest part, was her opening statement when she threw in as many cliches as she could use. Let me, H- let me Houston, let me we have a problem. About this. Right, and, and you add- know, and you know, and we've talked about this. She does those really well in small settings, live on the stump, but on that 
on that debate stage in front she of she struggles, a TV but show. it has to do it has to do a lot with her breathing uh, from an acting perspective, right? So what what she's what she does is she loses her breath constantly. So she's always behind or in front of her words when she settles down and stays grounded and feels comfortable, which can be said about a lot of the candidates, but especially about Klobuchar. It's the reason she doesn't come through in these debates. She has not. She needs to meditate. That's yep. what I would say. Okay. All right. Next is right before that. I'm saying right before she needs to meditate. 20 minutes. Do some transcendental meditation. All right. All Beto right. Or Next one. Beto O'Rourke last night. Beto O'Rourke um, obviously has found his voice on an issue that's really yep. important to him. But I think that that presents him as somebody who is not a a full service presidential candidate <laughs> is that now he's he's hit on an issue and that he's using this platform to push that issue. And that's great. And that's also potential vice presidential material as well. Possibly, yeah. Possibly. Or, or material of becoming uh, a cabinet member or some other thing. I, and I think that's what he's setting himself up for. This is his mission. He's got this platform. He's going to use it on the gun issue. Well, and you know what? He's he's found comfort on that stage. Uh, in the first two debates, he was a lot of ums and ahs, and I don't really know what I'm doing up here. And now he's really present. And he's, he's however, I think this idea is going back to something Klobuchar said. The idea of taking people's guns away is not necessarily the winning issue as much as it would be for background checks and for all these other things that can right. can move move the issue forward without it's like it's like universal health care for everyone within the next year getting rid of everybody's health insurance versus uh you know uh, helping what's there and i think that beto is and i yeah i think he realizes that if with that. somebody if he this issue needs somebody out there beating that drum of hell yes we're going to buy these back and you have no choice. You're going to take them back. Yeah, take them back. You don't have a choice. I, right, right. I just, it, it scared me. It actually made me shudder when he said it. All right. Uh, next up is uh, our good friend, uh, Cory Booker. Cory Booker. You know, uh, he had one of my favorite lines of the night last night, which was he he talked about a crisis of empathy in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by him. He's, he does such a better job on the, in these debates. And again, here's another, yeah, and he situation. gets better and he gets better yep. with each one in terms of and, his delivery. But with Joe Biden there taking that lane, because, because Booker is really strong. And there was a moment I texted you last night where I said, you know, Biden Booker looks pretty good, um, for a minute. And, and he does bring something to the table that is unique and uh, impressive. I, I was very pleased. For yeah, him. he backed off of his attack on tax on Biden that he did in the last debate. Although after the debate, yeah. he said a few things. But but in the debate itself, I thought his vision got broader. Mm-hmm. His command of what he was all about was got even better and more clear than it <laughs> I just have to before. say this. Yeah, he, he had that line after the debate about it. He's not sure he can make it to the finish line. I have a friend, a very liberal friend, the ACLU lawyer, um, who said to me, it was just made me laugh too hard. He's, I said that about, I'm not sure that Biden can make it past the finish line. And he said, I'm not sure he can make it to the early bird special, which <laughs> I was just, and he just came right out with that. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. You, you know, I've been, I've seen every one of these 10 candidates in person in Iowa or New Hampshire, most of them multiple times. Cory Booker is one, if you knew nothing about polls, there were no polls out yeah. there, you would think that, oh, he this should. guy's one of the top three. He could find he, his and way. And it doesn't translate. All right. Now, next one and is... I think it's yeah. for me to give to you. Okay. Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang. Yes. Um, you know, we've talked about him 
and his rising credibility uh, over the past uh, few debates. And he just totally shot himself in the foot yeah. with, the, with his opening gambit, which was, I thought, you know, what's behind door number one or door number two? Come yeah, on down and get your $1,000 a month. It, <laughs> and, and, and it turns out it's potentially illegal what he's doing. Right. I, I, thought, I thought he just he just really hurt himself there. I think he hurt himself too. And it, it, part of what he's been doing over the course of the last few weeks is he's sort of playing up the, hey, I'm the fun kooky guy who's going to change everything. And I actually uh, think how about that Asian, Asian doctor's line? He uses yes. the Asian identity line a lot. You know, I'm an Asian guy. That means I'm smart with math. Now yeah. it's I'm Asian. I know a lot of doctors. And it's too I bad. wonder how that plays. I, I, it's too bad. It didn't play great to me, um, and it's too bad in a way. I, I do think that he does come with some interesting ideas. He's talking about automation in a way that all the candidates should be discussing it. Uh, that there, there's going to be a place for him in a cabinet, I would think. Um, I think, he, but I, I think he hurt himself last night, and he and Castro, in a way, Castro, I, to me, killed himself last night. Um, he just yeah, ended I, I, his, well ended his. Uh, national career I mean, for the next twelve. Yeah, years. that's that's the problem with with, with Castro. It was he was never going to be the nominee, but no, he, but he, he, audi- just, he auditioned for something else, and I think he really hurt himself all along. Yang was in the mix, uh, at least to be taken seriously as something, and I think that he hurt himself as being I taken agree. seriously. I all agree. right, next one up is uh, someone who you've liked all along, which is uh, yeah. Pete Buttigieg. How did he do last night? You know, it's interesting when he starts out, he really struggles. He looks scared up there for the first 15 minutes last night. Yeah, that's he I wasn't that too. He wasn't breathing. He Again, back to the breath. Um, and it took until... Uh, really about 15 to 20 to 30 minutes into the debate for him to find his feet. Once he finds his feet, he's fantastic up there. You know, he has some of the best lines of the night. I think he's, uh, unfortunately, I I don't think it's, he's viable up there against Trump. Um, He looked weak up there. He looked young uh, for the, for the beginning and part of the debate. Uh, But he's obviously a, 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 a great future ahead. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them came in there with, with, the same game plan, a different. We'll talk about the top three in a bit, but the a lot of these other candidates, and, and we've talked about Booker and Klobuchar and O'Rourke, have came in there with slightly different game plans and saying this is how I have to establish myself if I'm going to break through. And whether they're successful or not, we'll see in the polls coming up. We I don't think they are. But with Buttigieg, I got the sense that he said, "Well, I'll just stick with the same game plan." Yeah, coming he in, is and, who he is. and you can't do that. Uh, you know, when you need to break through, you got to well, come up with something else. Yes, but he, Klobuchar, uh, Booker, they're all waiting for that lane to clear out with Biden. And we don't know if that lane is ever going to clear out. But if that lane cleared out, that would be an interesting conversation. Then. Yeah, but, uh, you know, my, my feeling about, about Buttigieg, he did just fine, he as he has fine. done in the, in, the, in the past. But just fine isn't good enough when you're polling it. It's about four or five percent. Yeah, but he's yeah. got a lot of money, but I don't know how much future he has in 2020. Uh, okay, next up we have uh, Kamala Harris. Yes. So speaking of somebody who changed up their game plan, uh, in this case failed, in my view. So Harris is always going after Trump, right? So there's no question that that she, you know, pokes Trump. But after going after Biden successfully in the first debate and unsuccessfully in the second debate, her campaign strategy changed entirely to say, every opportunity we have, let's prod Trump. In the hopes, and this is my view of what the strategy was, in the hopes of getting in Trump's Twitter feed tomorrow. And I think that was uh, an idea of let's become the foil to Trump so that Democrat voters will take another look at us. I mean, Kamala Harris is the one candidate who was on the edge. 
that while I don't think Castro hurt himself in terms of his presidential aspirations because they were going nowhere, Kamala Harris has still had the opportunity. So I think that her strategy actually hurt herself there. I, you know, it's so funny because she has some of the best moments on those stage on that stage last night. She really did. And she has the ability when she gets into her prosecutorial sort of stance and, and starts working from that position. She's very strong. However, that giggle, that laugh of the moment that was the worst for her to me was when she said, Joe, yes, we can. <laughs> and the laugh at the end of that was one, you know, it's like, I, I don't hate what she said. I hated her her presence behind that and yeah. her 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 stance behind that it's like stay in that strength Kamala Harris because you've got it there's a and lot there that, to she like she does that a lot but I think I yeah, think, that, I think they're, they're struggling too. their campaign could, I think it showed that the campaign is struggling to figure out how to break her out she could oh. VP for Joe Biden that that yep. would not shock so yeah that's still a possibility okay uh Bernie Sanders old man yells at cloud um, that's what I just kept saying all night. And I felt bad for him because he was obviously vocally very tired. I've been on stage. I, I think he was actually sick. If you look you know, at his face, his, his yeah. face was drained too. So, but, but I've had to go on stage sick and go on stage with half a voice. Um, it would have been, he had a moment later in the, in the, in the, uh, in the debate where he settled himself quite nicely. And mm-hmm. when he does come from that sort of measured centered place he can communicate a message very well but you know most of the night when he's just getting angry one of the fascinating things was his handshake with julian castro at the end of the night was completely Mm -hmm. dismissive like he walked over and he just looked at him like you know what you're a piece of crap yeah but uh old man yells at cloud is has always been bernie sanders uh, strategy (laughs) That, that that is his campaign strategy all along and he does it well and he gets that audience, he gets that support, he's got that core group of support. I just feel so, like he could do it better, though, Patrick. Like, I feel yeah. like if he, you know, some of his ideas, when he talks about it, costs, yeah, $30 million for healthcare, but it's going to cost double that if we don't do it. Like, if you don't yell that and you actually try to make that point, there's right. a fair point to be made there. And it's, it's a larger point, it's a larger idea. I just, I think, uh, you know, no harm, no foul for Bernie Sanders. He held on to the support that he has. Certainly. certainly. Um, and he's still in the top three. Uh, that, that, that hasn't changed this at all. Um, but, uh, we'll see, you know, I, I saw him, uh, we talked about this before. I saw him in a smaller venue. It's interesting when he plays that, but, um, is he, he is like, he simpler there? He's simpler, but he's, he, he, he can't, because he doesn't normally interact with an audience anyway, because they're usually large audiences. He doesn't know how to interact with a, a small audience. It's always yelling at the cloud. <laughs> okay. Yelling at the cloud. Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren is the rising momentum candidate, and she continues to be. And this performance was, I know that my campaign is working, and I'm going to stick to the game plan. And that's what I saw coming out of this debate. She does something fascinating uh, from a communications perspective. She'll go on to a long idea about something about healthcare or about something else, and then she'll pivot within the statement with, okay, now here's the deal. And what she does is she's signaling your ear, okay, now I may have lost you for half a second, come on back. And it's fabulous. She really knows what she's doing. The question that I just kept coming at through the rest of the debate was was the question of whether she's going to be able to pivot to a general election strategy, or if she's coming so far to the left that Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, all of these states that are so important, where it's just like, I just don't know how she's going to win those states. Yeah, I, I don't know. And I also don't know whether the pivot is necessary. One of the things that I was talking with somebody about what voters are looking for and continue to look for 
is change. And does it, does it matter that she's far to left if people see her as more of a change agent than Donald Trump? And we've seen no. this in the Democratic, uh, and we've seen this in the Democratic maybe. primary process as she's gaining voters. She's gaining voters who are saying, you know what, she's she's not bad, and I might not agree with everything, but I think she can be a change agent. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I haven't. I don't that, have the answer to that. That's, but, a, that, that's a whole segment in yeah. next week's episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to talk episode, about that I mean. a lot more because I think there's more to it than just this left-right yeah. continuum that the press talks about. Okay. Um, last one, top of the pack, Joe Biden. Joe Biden had a fine night. There was a moment, though, that really troubled me um, with the record player. Uh, one, that it was it was almost nonsensical. Now, first, he handled himself beautifully with Castro, mm-hmm. I thought. I thought he handled um, getting attacked really, really well. But the problem I had yeah. with the record player moment um, was, was actually what he was saying, not how he said it. And what he was talking about, about teaching African-Americans, because it was about reparations, how to parent their children better. Yeah. And, and Pull yourself was, up by your bootstraps. It, 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 it made me, ugh, you know, ooh, gosh. And there were a couple of moments like that last night where every time, you know, when he was moving a mint around in his mouth, it turns out. And I okay. thought it was his dentures. I yeah, wrote you, I said, yeah, did, I remember. did yeah. his teeth just fall out? It because did, because what, he, he was, he was because uh, the words, um, he lisped. For a bit right there, but it turned out it was a tic tac. Oh. I found out later it was a tic tac. Um, that it was a mint that he was moving to a different part of his mouth. But yep. but overall, with Biden, he survived. But I think there's an underlying yeah. issue. Yeah, there. yeah. I mean, we I mean, there's a lot about Biden that we can talk about in terms of uh, you know he he is clearly of a of a different time, and whether that's what people want or not. But in terms of this debate, again, the the top three candidates, Biden, Warren, Sanders, all said our strategy is working. Let's just keep pushing it. Now, Sanders didn't change. Warren, slight uh, correction. Biden, I think, just a little slight practice that he did. But I think that's a key. You know, these these three candidates at the top feel that the strategy that they have is working. And I think that's what we saw in the debate. Is yeah, and we're going to need to see, and if for, for any of the other ones to sort of climb their way into it, you're going to need to see a drop by Biden. Yep. Not, they're not going to get that support from Warren or from Sanders, I wouldn't think. All right, uh, you know, so let's move on to our final segment, and it's our Guardian of the Week. Now, Patrick, you had somebody that you wanted to nominate this week. Yes, we usually look at somebody who's in politics and is risking their political future. In this case, uh, this is an in-memoriam uh, Guardian of the Week, a guy named John Sully Sullivan. I hadn't heard of him before. Uh, I know you haven't heard of him, uh, but I came across this column in the Washington Post by Josh Rogan on September 5th. And this is a 37-year-old former diplomat who served in the Middle East, and he just clearly uh, engendered such affection and respect for such a young person that this is somebody I think we need to know about. Uh, and there's a there's a there's a quote from uh, this this piece that I think is worth uh, listening to. So what it said in the piece was he was fiercely dedicated to his self-assigned mission to prove the U.S. government could be a force for good in the Middle East. Before most, he was an ambassador of the United States in the purest sense. If our government had more people like Sully working in it, our country and the world would be better off. Yes. So the fact that somebody who worked behind the scenes, a relatively short career, and he earned this kind of respect, that he would get this attention, just really says a lot about the kind of person he was and the kind of people that we need 
to guard the, the republic. I think one of the things that we worry about is we now have, and we talked about this earlier in this in this very episode, an administration where loyalty to the one person who is sitting in the Oval Office is paramount to everything else. Yes, it is. And that runs contradictory to what George Washington said about holding the principle of character as the most important quality when you're making these kind of appointments. Because you can't, you can't, you can't hire people of great character if they're if you're not willing to listen to what they have to say and when they disagree with you. It's a dark time when it comes to our administration and our country in this way. And I think that's why you were right to uh, put up John Sully Sullivan this week as our Guardian of the Week. All right, so that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. Make sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And please make sure when you do that, give us a rating so other people can find us. Check out our website at guardians-republic.com or on Twitter at GuardiansOTR. Thank you for joining us. We're going to be back with a new episode next week. See ya.